All right, take your Bibles and turn with me over to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. And how are you doing on your prayer and fasting? And by the way, how can I serve you? How may I serve you this morning? Because I am serving you this morning. Like Jesus got down on his knees and washed his disciples' feet. I have been preparing for this message all week long, praying just to serve you, just to feed you. And not in my own strength and by my own power. Like Paul says, I didn't come to you with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in power and demonstration of the Holy Spirit. I expect the Spirit of God to take what I say and reveal it to you and apply it to your life so that you understand uh, what you need to understand so that you can go up. Let me take this off or it's, it's going to flop around all morning. I'm in serve mode. Prayer and fasting is, is an exciting time. Listen, you can remember the saying back in, uh, if you've ever gone to the gym, those that train, like uh, we've got a trainer here, um, Trina's over there, they say, no pain, no gain. Prayer and fasting is a time that the Lord, if we follow him in this time of prayer and fasting, he challenges us to strip away the things that we thought were necessary to life so that we can hear his voice clearer. That's, that is summing it up in just one statement. To take away the things that we think we need to live with or that we think that, that, that are important to our life, to take those things away so that we can hear the only thing that matters, and that is the voice of God. And so I encourage you, if you didn't start last Sunday, listen, we're going 21, 21 days, you can jump in right now. We have a daily reading Bible plan uh, where we read one chapter a day, Monday through Friday. They're printed out and they're out on the guest services counter out in the front before you go pick one up and join with us and get involved in the Word and allowing the Lord to speak to you about 2018. He has great plans for your 2018. It's up to us to hear his voice clearly and follow him and obey him every step of the way. So how do we do that? Matthew eleven twenty eight gives us a clue. This is in the Message Bible. I, I really like this translation. This is one of my favorite passages that comes out of the Message, uh, message Bible. It goes like this. Now, this is Jesus talking. So if Jesus was living in 2018, this is how he might sound. He says, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Can you imagine Jesus saying, are you burned out on religion? Because Jesus came to destroy religion. Religion is man's attempt to get to God. Jesus came and he said, I am God. Here I am for you. Right? So Jesus said, are you burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. 
That word rest is very important today. Walk with me and work with me and watch how I do it. You know, in order to watch how he does it, you're going to have to walk with him and you're going to have to work with him. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Grace has a rhythm. And it's unforced. So if anything feels burdensome or heavy to you, you're not walking in the unforced rhythms of God's grace. He said, I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Now again, this is a process. Just because you give your life to Jesus doesn't mean you wake up the next day and everything is rosy. All right? We have to learn how to walk with Jesus. That's why he invites us into this relationship so that we can learn how he does it. You know, we have to give up our ways so that we can adopt his ways. And that takes time. It takes time. We have to unlearn some things and then we have to learn some new things. New ways of living. And going through this series, these five weeks called First, we're learning how to put God first. Last week we talked about putting God first. This week is, is how to put uh, God first in our time. In our time. Here's the top three time thieves. You can write these down. The internet, number one. The internet. Anybody, uh, that's why they call it surfing, right? A page pops up, it's interesting, you click a link and it takes you to another page. And there you are surfing and surfing and surfing and surfing and surfing. And two hours later you look up and think, what was I doing? Because the internet is a time waster. I'm not saying that it's bad, but if you don't have control of your time, you can waste time really quick on the internet. Number two, the second uh, top time thief is television. And that's been around a lot longer than the internet. And way back, way back years ago when uh, people started recognizing that the television was a thief of your time, the ministers used to call it hellavision. <laughs> because it had things on there that weren't nice, Right? Well, it still has things on there that aren't nice, but it will waste your time. You, listen, you can watch Christian TV all day and waste your day by watching Christian TV. When there's sometimes, if you listen to the voice of God, he says, turn off the Christian station, open your Bible, and let me talk to you directly, directly. We have a direct connection. We don't have to go through someone else, right? This, the third thing is busy schedules. The number three uh, top, top time thief is busy schedules. And it, it, it doesn't matter how many devices we have to help us manage our time. We, our schedules get overburdened, overpacked. We overcommit. And it, it's something that we have to address. It's something we have to look at. These are the hard facts today that we have to take a look at and realize that we live in this, in this society that will, that will suck the time out of you. And with your time goes your energy, goes your resources. 
And so we, we go back to the scripture of John 10, 10, where Jesus says, I've come that you might have life and more abundantly, but, but don't be, uh, don't be uh, naive. There is an enemy. His name is the devil, and he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And one of the things that he loves to steal, kill, and destroy is your time. The devil will steal your time and laugh at you all the way to failure. Because his roads are paved with failure. He is a failure. And he loves to steal people's times and, and laugh at them as they fail. Listen at this. These are statistics that came from some source. I'm not sure what the source was, but I'm going to list out the average time that people spend in a lifetime doing certain things. 70% of our time, of our waking lives, our, our waking lives are spent in front of digital media. 70% of our waking lives in front of digital media. That could be, you know, listening to tunes on your Spotify or whatever and, or watching Netflix or, you know, surfing the Internet. All that's combined, right? 25 years sleeping. Now, that's an average, right? Somebody says, well, how could you sleep 25 years? Well, if you lived 75 years and you slept eight hours, that's one-third, right? So one-third of your life, 25 years of sleeping, right? So this is how we spend our time. 10.3 years working. 10.3 years working. 4.3 years driving a car. Again, this is average. Some of us drive an uh, hour and a half to work. Some of us drive 15 minutes to work. But this is an average. Four and a half years almost driving a car. Five years waiting in line. <laughs> four years eating. Now, some people eat more than four years. Let's be honest. <laughs> some a little less. But two years watching commercials. <laughs> two and a half years cooking here's some interesting male male female thing uh, women spend 17 years of life trying to lose weight <laughs> women spend one and a half years of life deciding what to wear <laughs> Women spend eight years of their life shopping. So, <laughs> so they shop and then decide what to wear. So, you know, the more shopping, the more you have to decide what to wear. It makes sense, right? Women spend one and a half years of life doing their hair. One and a half years of their life doing their hair. And men, men, uh, we're just, you know, we drop off the map. Men spend one, the survey said that men spend one year of their life looking at women. You know, that's just one year of their life. And the woman says, how do I look? And the man says, yeah, you look all right. You look all right. <laughs> so, <laughs> time is an interesting subject. You know, time didn't exist until the fall. And... And it, time has, uh, ever since I was young, time, the, the subject of time has really been intriguing to me. But the older I get, the more that I see that time is a boundary that God put in eternity so that sin could be contained. 
So that's why we feel the pressures of time and we feel bound by time. Because God lives in eternity and he created us as eternal beings to live in eternity with him. Right? So, I mean, it suffices to say that, that while we're living in this thing called time that has boundaries, right? There, there will be one day that time doesn't exist anymore, right? So while we're living in this thing called time, we need to learn how to use it and manage it and steward it better than what we did in 2017, right? So how do we do that? We put God first in our time. Here's some quotes that uh, you might want to go back and listen to on the video or listen to on the audio. He who lets time rule will live the life of a slave. That's John Arthorn. Peter Drucker says, until we manage time, until we can manage time, we can manage nothing else. Uh, a guy by the name of M. Scott says, until you value yourself, you won't value your time. Until you value your time, you will not do anything with it. Alan Lakin says, time equals life. Therefore, Waste your time and waste your life. Or master your time and master your life. Michael Altshuler says, The bad news is that time flies. The good news is that you're the pilot. Isn't that good? John Maxwell says, The secret of your future is hidden in your daily routine. How true. And William Penn says, time is what we want most, but what we use worst. So here's six things, if you want to write these down, that productive people do every day. Six things that productive people, you know, productive people, we tend to equate with successful people. Now, there's a difference in success in the world's eyes and success in God's eyes, but to be successful in God's eyes, I believe you have to be productive as well in the kingdom. But here's six things that productive people do every day. They no, number one, they start with a morning routine. They start with a morning routine. Number two, they block out time and tackle important tasks. Block out time and tackle important tasks. Number three, they maximize the use of their calendar. <coughs> maximize the use of their calendar. In other words, they're planners. They know what's going to happen before it happens, uh, all things being considered. I mean, there are some things that you can't control, but if you're in control of your calendar, you're one step ahead, right? <coughs> Uh, productive people, uh, number four, they look at their day in minutes, not hours. They look at their day in minutes and not hours. Number five, productive people turn off email. Turn off email. How many times do we get interrupted in a day by an email that is a spoof, is a spam, it's, it's something that doesn't matter, uh, but it's designed by the enemy 
to try to get you to click a link to give up your personal information so that somebody can steal your identity and steal your money and, I mean, hey, turn off the email. And the sixth thing that productive people do every day is they practice self-care. Self-care. That means being healthy, eating right, and exercising. There's no way around it, guys. Eating right and exercising. When you feel good, you're productive. If you feel bad and you're laying in bed, it's hard to be productive, right? So God designed our bodies to move. And in order to move, they have to have enough energy. They have to have enough sleep. They have to have the right kind of food, right? So those are just some things that we'll throw out there as we begin. Um, And take an inventory. Today, what did you do when you woke up today? Who had to wake you up in order to get you up so that you could get here? What motivates you to get up? Do you allow allow God to wake you up? Are you depending on this alarm clock? And if you think about the alarm clock, you know, God didn't design us to live in alert alarm mode. So, there's been times where uh, I've even challenged myself on a day that I was off that it wasn't dependent upon me to get to a certain place at a certain time in the morning. And I said, Lord, I'm going to go to sleep now in the the night before. And and I said, Lord, wake me up at 6 o'clock in the morning. And I would test myself because the Lord knows when it's 6 o'clock in the morning, my time, Eastern Eastern Standard Time, right? He knows. He knows. And if I have, if he's my Lord, and I say, wake me up at 6 o'clock my time, and I'm sensitive. There's the key. You have to be sensitive to the Lord to listen to him waking you up. Most of the time when he wakes me up, if I ask him to wake me up like that, he will speak my, he'll speak my name. And it's, wow. But there's no alarm, Right? It's love. When love calls your name and wakes you up, great things are happening that day. Right? What did you do first this morning? Did you rush for the coffee? Did you roll into the shower? Did you run for the food? Or did you say, get thee behind me? (laughs) Right? We have to remember we have an enemy. Look at Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 15. Ephesians 5, 15. I'm going to read this out of the New American Standard. That's the way it's written in your, well, the the reference that you have in your notes is the New American Standard Bible. We have to remember this. God, if he warns us by the Holy Spirit, he warns us about how precious time is and then gives us a clue, then we need to take heed. It says, therefore, be careful how you walk or be, be careful how you live. Be be careful how you conduct your life, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time. You know, some versions like the King James, the New King James says, redeeming the time. But the New American Standard, I like the way it says this. It says, making the most of your time. Let's make the most of our time. Why? Because the days are evil. So... As long as we're on this earth, as long as we're bound by time, we will deal with evil. 
That's why in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10, it says that we have the advantage of putting on the full armor of God every day so that we can come against the enemy before he comes against us, so that we can lift up our shield of faith and capture every fiery dart. But we need to take the initiative to get up to put on the armor, right? If we don't, then we're one step behind all day long. There's been many times where I've said, Lord, I desire to get up and I desire to pray and I desire to read my Bible. And then the alarm goes off and I push the snooze and don't do it. And then halfway through the day, I regret that I didn't do it because I feel like I'm being buffeted all day long, right? And so everybody else has experienced that too, right? So let's make a deal in 2018 that we don't, we don't do that. Let's be wise. Say, I'm a wise person that puts God first. Successful people master their time. They're very intentional. People that aren't successful waste their time. They're always in reaction mode. And that's what we're saying. You know, you can be intentional, you can take initiative, or you can be reacting to everything that comes against you and end up defending rather than the violent take it by force, the people of faith that know their God will do strong and do, will be strong and do great exploits. Right? Matthew eleven twenty eight again says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle, lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus wants us to walk in his unforced rhythms of grace. His strength, his power flowing through us. It has a rhythm to it. And that rhythm carries us forward constantly. There is no retreat in God. There's always, always Growth, always progress, always forward motion. So there's three principles of this first time today. Point number one, the first day, first day. Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11. This is the Lord speaking to his people, Israel, and he is laying out the principle of Sabbath. If you've never heard that word before, Sabbath. It says in verse 8, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. That means set apart. Keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you nor your son nor your daughter nor your female servant nor your male servant nor your cattle nor your stranger who is within your gates. Don't let anybody do any work. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed that Sabbath day and hallowed it, or set it apart. So the Lord set a standard when he created the heavens and the earth. He worked six days and rested the seventh. And God rested the seventh not because he was tired, because he doesn't get weary. He rested to establish the principle that we need to rest. We need to rest. 
So God instituted a day of rest. We taught about this, remember last year, back during the series of uh, God's Top Ten on the principle of the Sabbath. We took the, the Ten Commandments, but we brought them from the Old Testament. We brought them into the New, new Covenant and the New Testament where the principles, we see those same principles in, in the New Testament, that we need a day of rest. So my question to you is, do you rest and do you allow God to restore your soul? Because Jesus said in Matthew, uh, I'm sorry, Mark chapter 2 and verse 27, Jesus said this, the Sabbath was made for man and not the man for the Sabbath. So we're not under the law, but the Sabbath was not just the law. The Sabbath was a principle that was higher than the law. And the Sabbath says you need to take one day out of seven and rest. Why? Because God wants to restore you. And he can't restore you if you don't stop. I have a dog that's almost four years old. His name is Solomon. And this dog doesn't stop. And after the first year, we took this dog into the vet, and I, and, I, and I asked the vet, I said, I can understand he's a puppy, he's a year old. So I looked at the vet, and I said, when does he calm down? And the vet got this really big smile on his face, and he says, oh, you've got about another three years. It's a standard poodle. They are very lively, very energetic. This dog will fetch a ball in the living room for 30 minutes. Back and forth and back and forth and back and forth until he just falls over. <laughs> and I get amused at watching him. And I'm thinking the whole time, instead of getting frustrated that I have to keep throwing this ball, I'm thinking, why don't I have this kind of energy? And then sometimes... Sometimes I think this is like a lot of Christians. They run and run and run and run and run and run and run. And God says, slow down and stop so that I can give you rest. Did you ever notice the verse in Psalm 23 that said, He leads me beside still waters and He restores my soul. So, the only way that he can restore my soul is if I follow him by the still waters and stop and take a drink. He desires to restore your soul, but how, how well are you practicing the Sabbath? How, how well are you putting God first in one day a week? Do you have to be busy even that day? Can you just turn off the email, turn off the TV, Spend some family time to just talk about the coming year. Set yourself in agreement with God. Just, just unwind. Just sit and look at the trees. Can, can, can we do that? Or is it just we just have to be busy all the time? Busy, 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 busy. And the Lord is saying, I want to restore your soul, but if you never stop, how can I do that? Isaiah 40 is another great example. He gives power to the faint. Those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. So if we're not renewing our strength, that means we're not waiting upon the Lord. 
right? Don't violate the principle of the Sabbath. Don't violate the principle of the Sabbath. It takes faith to stop that one day. You know, people that work two and three jobs to pay all the bills work seven days a week, many times work more than eight hours a day. Have you ever caught yourself working overtime and thinking, why am I just burning myself out? And why is the family saying, we never see you. You're always gone. You're always at work. And there's such strife and there's such tension over you working overtime. For what? For what? What, what does it profit to work so much that we can't rest and allow God to restore our soul? It takes faith like Chick-fil-A. The faith of Chick-fil-A. To shut down a day and still be the most successful fast food chain in the world, in, in history. Do you know the statistics? I used this in a message of, uh, a while back too. You know, McDonald's, Burger King, all those guys. Each store on average will make $1 million a year. So the average of a Chick-fil-A store though that shuts down one day out of the week, right? You can't get a chicken burger at Chick-fil-A on Sunday because they honor the Sabbath. Five million a year because they dare to obey God. I mean, that should say something to us. God can cause us to have way more in six days than we can produce in seven days. Point number two, first hour. What do you do the first hour of your day? Mark chapter 1, verse 32. Mark 1, 32. This is Jesus. This is the life of Jesus. At evening when the sun had set, they brought to Jesus all who were sick and those who were demon-possessed. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And then he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solid, solitary place, and there he prayed. Now let me stop right there at the end of verse 35, and let's review up to verse 32. He had been praying for people and casting out demons in the evening until it was nighttime, while the rest of the guys went and slept, he slept a few hours, then got up and started praying before, way before daylight. And now let's go in verse 36. And Simon Peter and those who were with him searched for Jesus. Verse 37, when they found him, they said to him, everyone's looking for you. But he said to them, let us go to the next towns, into the next towns, that I may preach there also. Because for this purpose, I have come forth. So, from this passage, you can see that Jesus spent time early in the morning to refocus on his purpose so that he could keep going and being about his father's business and do what his father had told him to do. So, the life of Jesus. Jesus prayed first. He prayed to start his day. Psalm 63 and verse 1. This is David. 
He says, oh God, you're my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there's no water. David, too, was a man after God's own heart. Jesus was after. It's not like David was created after God's own heart. I mean, we, we are created in God's image. And those who are born again have the heart of God. But David was after God's heart. He ran after God's heart. So he said, you're my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there's no water. This is the cry of someone who put God first and spent those first hours of the day. Listen, if we set our minds on things above, if we fix and focus our attention on Him, if we, if we set our affection on Jesus, if we spend our first hour with Him, every other hour in our day will go better. <laughs> Henry Ward Beecher said, the first hour of the day is the rudder of the day is the rudder so the rudder tells the ship where to go and it may be small but it can take that big ship to places that it needs to go and just like that first hour of our day is is the rudder but it takes discipline so the first hour putting God first in the first hour takes discipline putting God first in the first day takes faith like we said point one point two putting God first in our day in our life that first hour takes discipline. We have to establish a routine. How about in 2018 that you make a decision to, before you eat breakfast, go to the Word. Eat the Word before you eat breakfast. Feed your spiritual person before you feed your physical Part of, part of you. You're a threefold being, spirit, soul, and body. Let's feed our spirit before we feed our physical body. Right? Let's make a decision to get organized. Let's make a decision to get in bed earlier. Right? Just a few little changes, you'll be amazed at the breakthrough that it produces in your life. Number three, the point three. First relationship. Putting God first in our lives requires that we put him first in our relationships. Here's the question. Who do you spend the most time with? Because that will tell who's first in your life. You hear mothers that say, oh, I love... And, and they say this with great uh, honor... And respect and pride and I, I love being a mother. And then you hear them at the end of the day and they're like, I can't get away from these kids. <laughs> so what is it? I mean, do your kids rule you? Or do you serve Jesus? Is Jesus your Lord? Or are you just chasing these kids? Kid, unruly kids around all day. And I, listen, I, believe me, I'm not coming down hard on mothers. There's a principle here, though. If we put God first, we can be the best mother that these kids need. Yes. 
But if we don't put God first, we'll run out of steam halfway through the day, right? It's the principle of first, putting him first in our relationships. Husbands and wives, we can't put our mate above God and expect to have the energy and, and, and the love that we need to minister to our mate. Because here's the principle. Our affections will determine the amount of time that we spend with that person. If your affections are more on the things of this earth and people on this earth, then it will distract you and draw you away from your relationship with God. We will not spend time with God because our affections are not set on God. If we turn that around and we put our affections on Him, we're going to spend more time with Him. More time, more time spent with the Father means that we have more compassion for those people that we need to have compassion on. And that, those are people living on our, un, under our own roof, guys. To love our family as much as we love God. Spend time with God so we have the energy, the resources, the love, the compassion, the mercy, and the grace for everybody around us, including those that are in our, in our own family. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 3 says, You shall have no other gods before me. That really means if there's anybody above God, then they become your God. If you place other people above God, then they are your God. They rule you. You live to serve them and please them rather than God. And at some point, that runs out. Mark 11, or I'm sorry, Mark 12, uh, verses 29 and 30. Jesus answered them, and he said, The first of all commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, for this is the first commandment. So we're commanded to love God with all of our heart. If we're not loving God with all of our heart, then we're not receiving what we need from Him so that we can be the blessing that He's called us to be. Again, it's a principle of first. If we put God first in our time, then we'll have those resources and the spiritual strength. We'll have the trust that we need in God to minister to those that he's called us to minister to. Matthew 10, 37. Jesus said this statement. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. That seems a little hard. But if God is your source and Jesus is your Lord... You need to hear him every day tell you how much he loves you so that you can be assured and confident in the love that he has for you so that you can love others the way that he loves you. You know, Jesus said, we are commanded, not asked, not if it's convenient. Jesus said, love others the way that I have loved you. That's unconditional, right? When we get grouchy and grumpy, I can tell you why. 
when we get short-tempered and we just can't deal with people and they're a pain to us, it's because we haven't spent enough time hearing God tell us how much he loves us. Every time we stop, every time we listen to what he says to us, if we listen long enough, he'll say, I love you. Even if he corrects you, even if he corrects you, he always seals that up with, I love you. I believe in you. You can do it. I trust you. I've given you everything you need. For this problem that you're dealing with, there's six solutions to every problem. Even, probably even more than that, if we'll just stop, acknowledge him, and draw from that relationship that we have for him, putting him first with our time, spending time with him. It takes dedication. It takes dedication. We have to be dedicated. We have to be committed. It's not something that we just try. It is something we determine to do. And we've all been there, guys, where we, we start out in January, we're doing good. And, you know, like I said last, last week, you know, we go along a little bit and then we slip. And the things that we let, because things turn around when we put God first. Things become easier not that we don't face any challenges, but we experience breakthrough. We experience some victory. And we start moving forward, and then we go back, and it's like, okay, we got this now. I got this. But we need him. We need him more and more and more and more and more. He's the only one that knows your tomorrow. He's already been there. I can trust him about tomorrow because he knows it. He knows the steps. He knows Jeremiah 11, 20, 29. He knows the, the things that he has prepared for me. So if I go to him first and spend time with him first, he prepares me. Even if, even if I'm going through a mistake that I made myself, he can show me how to redeem the time. Right? Your heavenly father loves you. And he's saying today, for this year, for next year, and the next year after that, put me first. Put, try this. Do this. Prove this. Prove this principle to be true. Put me first. Spend time with me. And I'll show you how lovely your wife is. Wives, spend time with the Heavenly Father, and he will show you how strong, handsome, and debonair your husband is. He'll, re he'll rekindle that fire. Right? He'll put a passion back in you. That same passion that you felt drain out of you halfway through 2017. If you put him first and do that by making time with him, giving him your time, then he'll re-energize you. He'll restore your soul. I think there's a lot of souls that need to be restored. 
There's a lot of souls that grow weary. The Bible says, don't, don't grow weary in well-doing. We, you know, we can do well and grow weary. But he's, he's given us a way that we can restore our soul if we'll follow him to the, the peaceful waters, to the still waters, and take a drink where he tells you to take a drink. Don't try to find your own waters. Just let him lead you into the green pastures and by the still waters. And then just stop and drink. Stop and drink. Be restored, renewed, refreshed. So what's the Holy Spirit been speaking to you through this message today? Think about that. Maybe write one statement down. Listen, take away something from this day. Don't just leave and hear but fail to do. The Lord by His Spirit is challenging us right here in January to put Him first and see how beautiful and wonderful and awesome 2018 is going to be. He created you, but he also is, is watching over his word to perform it in 2018. He wants to do miracles for you. He wants to turn things around for you. I'm so glad he has pulled me out of my own pit. You know, the devil will dig a pit, and sometimes you fall into it. But then there's sometimes in my past that I've dug my own pit and fell down into it. And said, Lord, help me. <laughs> what am I doing in here, Lord? <laughs> but I go to 1 Corinthians 10, 13, and he says, in, in, in every temptation, test, and trial, he makes a way of escape. He'll show you that way of escape if you stop. If you make time with him. Make time with him. Let's pray. Father, thank you.